And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You, ha you shall no have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless for who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall, shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Oh, good evening, folks. It is brilliant to be with you. I could come here every week just to come and sit in the music. I suppose I could come here every week and just sit and listen to the music. I don't come here every week and do that. It's just brilliant to be with you again. Um, and we're going to look at just one verse out of all that that Becky just read for us there. Uh, one verse we're going to spend the next 25 minutes or so peeking through. You know there's a Bible that was printed in 1631. And if you have a copy of it, it's worth piles of money. You could retire now before you even start a career. You could just quit on that, that Bible. It's called the Wicked Bible because out of the whole of the Bible, there were three letters not printed. The whole Bible and just three letters missing out. And it was three letters from in the middle of that reading that Becky gave to us. So in Exodus 20, in the Wicked Bible, it said, thou shalt commit adultery. I don't know if the guys tried to do that like on purpose. It backfired on them if it did because most of the copies were burnt and the guys who actually printed it were fined like their whole lifetime's earnings uh, of punishment for doing that. But it's such a controversial thing, isn't it? It's such a touchstone of, of where we are as people. Now, I know that there isn't anyone married here, but actually that idea of adultery stretches far beyond just being married. It, it means, and, and I probably don't need to tell you this, it's pretty self-evident. It's one of the parts of the Bible, when you look at it, you think, yeah, I understand what that means. I'm just not sure whether I should do it. I'm not sure why this applies to me or how to even start to do it. But it basically means don't have sex with anyone who's not your husband or your wife. That's the plain meaning of don't commit adultery. Jesus, when he was pressed about those kinds of things, and when he taught on the Old Testament, extended the meaning of lots of these things. He said, look, this is really the core of what God was saying here. There's a basic understanding, and then you've got to see how it applies to the rest of your life. And so in Matthew 5, verse 28, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, I forgot to do this. You can do that for me if I forget again, has already committed adultery with her 
in his heart. Now he's speaking to men there mostly, and that's why he talks about men, but it applies to, to women too. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to keep the commandment, don't commit adultery, then, then any sexual encounter with someone who is not your spouse, any lingering look, any, any fantasy mind player, any pornographic click is out of bounds for you. For people who belong to Jesus, you can't involve yourself physically or mentally with anyone that you're not married to. Now, that's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? I could quit here at this point. And you could get on with buying your chips across the road or heading to Asda, as people seem to do, and bring some food back. But I'm not going to do that. You've got to sit for another 20 minutes and listen to a little bit more because I want to try and show you why this is so important and why you should want to try and be these kind of people and what hope there is for us when we're not these kind of people. I, I suspect that what I've just said goes against everything that you hear from almost every other source. And I want to try and explain why that is and what the world looks like I want to try and show you why we need something better than what the world offers. I want to see tonight why this is better than what the world offers. And I want us to see how we can do it together. Here's the first thing. We're living in a culture. We live in a society and we, we breathe it all the time. We hear it all the time. You're surrounded by it wherever you go. That tells you that what I've just said here is absolute nonsense. Let me quote that well-known philosopher, Scarlett Johansson. You know... Um, Black Widow, she's also a philosopher. She said this. She was, she was divorced for the second time in her early 30s. And as she was divorced, she said this in 2017, two years ago. I think the idea of marriage is very romantic. It's a beautiful idea. And the practice of it can be a very beautiful thing. She said before countering, I don't think it's natural to be a monogamous person. I think probably Scarlett Johansson has it pretty well where most people are with relationships. I, I guess you'd probably hear from most sources today, from most of the different things that you listen to, from, from the culture that surrounds you, that being a, a one-person relationship guy, a one-woman man, a, a one-man woman, just isn't normal. It, it's, it's fought against in your inner being. Everything about you says this isn't how it's supposed to be. And everyone else tells you this isn't how you are supposed to be. Be a bit free. If you look at all the people that are on TV, look on your recent Netflix history. See the kind of shows that you watch there. And see how many sexual encounters are portrayed outside of marriage with no explanation. They're just the way things are. People head to bed with someone who's, who's not the husband, not their wife. And sometimes people who are other people's husbands and wives, and it's just part of the show. It's not a big deal. It's not even a major plot line. It's just part of what goes on. It's normal. And what I'm talking about here is not normal. Think about celebrities that you know who have had affairs, and it's no end to their career. You know, they could lie about some things, and they could hold certain views, and you'd never hear from them again. But if they have an illicit affair... Or they break from their wife or their husband and they, they head off with somebody else. In lots of ways, it can be a real boom to the career. Or listen to what lots of people say at weddings. I'm a minister of a church in Lisbon, and I don't do lots of weddings. People don't seem to be clamoring to get married in the city of Lisbon. I think it's a beautiful place. And maybe if you want to get married later on, you can talk to me about trying to host that in, in Sloan Street in Lisbon. It's a nice church and a nice city. But people generally don't come to me about that. So I tend to just marry people who are from my church, which means I do about two weddings a year because that's all the people from my church want to get married. 
And so I've never really encountered this problem myself, but I've, I've talked to lots of my colleagues who have, where people have come to them and they've said, I'd love to get married in your church and I'd love to devise my own vows. And they say something like this. I want to marry you because you make me feel great. You make me melt inside. I love the way that you do this for me. And you know, if, if, ever, if ever anyone came to me and said, can I write my own vows? Here's what I want to write. I'd probably have to say no. Because it's nothing like what the Bible talks about, relationships. It's not about what other people do for you, how you feel about them, because you know the unwritten code underneath that, the, the, the language that's being given to you without that being explicit. They're saying, I'm with you while you make me feel like this. While I feel electric when you're in the room, then I'm going to stay married to you. But if that buzz starts to go out of our relationship, then I'm hiking out the door too. And that's not what the Bible talks about. That's not how God frames marriage relationships. So I make people say this. Do you take each other to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part? I make them promise that no matter what happens, they're going to stay together. That whether things get better or things get worse or someone gets sick or, or, or life goes, goes in a completely positive direction, it doesn't really matter whether the other person makes you feel good or not. You are promising to stay with them forever. And lots of you, I, I imagine, are thinking, who is that nutball at the front? That's not how things work. What's wrong with having sexual pleasure with lots of different partners? What's wrong with fantasizing about pornography? No one seems to get hurt by that. And I want to say, I know that's what you think. I know that's what everything in this world is screaming at you at the moment. But I want you to see that there is something wrong. And it's not just wrong with me trying to explain to you what the Bible is saying here, but there's something wrong with us that makes us missee how relationships can hurt us and how relationships can benefit us. I want you to know tonight that you are worth much more than that. That God has greater plans for you than that. That God has made you for more than that. But there is something wrong with us. We don't see the world clearly. We don't make things out properly. So when we look at relationships and we see what we want, we don't always see the right things. We go for the wrong things. And the, the text of the Bible, the text of the Ten Commandments and how it's explained through the pages that follow are not there to spoil your fun. They're not there to, to stop you enjoying life. They're there to make you secure. And they're there to show you faithfulness. The Bible wasn't written to different kinds of people, do you? Don't think that the kind of people that were listening to Exodus when it was first read and the people who listened to Jesus in Matthew when he first spoke those words were different from you in some other ways, had different standards than you in any other kind of way. No, our heart is always the same. You and I intrinsically have something wrong with us. And what's wrong with us is we are rebellious and we are proud. And we think we know better than God. And generation after generation comes to a point like this and listens to what God says and says, but not me. I know something better. I know a better way to live. I know something that's going to be more prosperous for me. And it's not following God. And every generation is the same. 
but it doesn't work. It doesn't give you what you want. One of the things that most people want, especially in sexual relationships, is freedom. And I talk about freedom quite a lot with people, especially those who aren't Christians, because it is one of the heartbeat things. It's, it's what all of us cry out for. But freedom, the way the Bible frames it, is not just you doing whatever you want. If you even live for a week doing just what you want, can you see what a catastrophe it would be? And if you live sexually the way that you want, just taking whatever is in front of you, it will destroy you. Freedom, the way the Bible talks about it, is being free to be the person that God made you to be. To live out the life that he had designed for you. You see, you have been made that living to please yourself will never satisfy you. You're made that your greatest satisfaction will be in the pleasure of somebody else. So when you live in a fantasy world, when you focus on pornography, you will never be satisfied where you are now. And it will never give you what you're looking for. Whenever you think I'll be with this person while well, it's good and, and then as soon as I, that, that buzz is gone for me, as soon as that feeling is over, I'm going to be out of the door, you'll never find what you're looking for because you're built to be satisfied by someone else's pleasure. It's like the speed limit. Some of you will have started driving cars, I'm guessing. My eldest son has just started driving uh, and he thinks the speed limits, the, the road signs that tell you what speed to go are just there to kill his fun. But they're really there to keep him safe so that he can enjoy driving and enjoy life properly without being damaged inside. And that's how it is with God too. Here's a, a limit that God gives to us, a, a promise that he gives to us, a way the world works, talking about adultery. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. It just seems, it seems so natural for lots of us today to think if you see someone who is not your wife and you can have sex with her and no one will find out, then go and take it and enjoy yourself. But God says this is not how the world works. It's not how I've set the place up for it to be. If you live in those kind of relationships, if you live in illicit sexual practices, you will unavoidably be burnt. It's just impossible to carry coals next to your chest without it burning your clothes or to walk on hot coals without your feet getting scorched. So it is with relationships. And ultimately, whether you get burned in this life or not, God is judge. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, or, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen carefully to what God is saying. If you choose sexual immorality, sleeping with people who you're not married to, fantasizing your head about people who are not your husband or your wife, living in those kinds of worlds. If you choose that over God, you won't get him. You won't get the kingdom of God. You'll never be accepted in because you've chosen something that you think is better. And you're wrong. So what's our response? 
Well, often the, the church seems to give an impression that the best thing to do is just leave sex behind, to walk off whistling a happy tune and never think about sex ever again because it's a pretty black issue. Tertullian, he was an early church father. He writes some really good stuff, Tertullian, on lots of different things. But Tertullian wrote this one thing about sex. Here's what he said. Extinction of the human race is preferable to procreation. Wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? It would be better, Tertullian said, for everyone to die out, for the human race just to cease to exist, than for people to have sex. He was right on a lot of stuff. I don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's a balanced view on it. But that view permeated the church. And at the time of the Reformation, the Catholic Church, which was the only church at that time, had said that sex was not permitted on holy days, really special days in the church's calendar. So things like Good Friday. Well, don't have sex on Good Friday because Jesus died on Good Friday. That's what we're going to remember. So, So don't be having sex that day. By the time Luther came along, there were 183 days like that. Half of the year that you weren't allowed to have sex. It would have been bad if you'd had sex. It was probably sinful if you had sex on those days. Because the basic understanding was that sex was bad. It was a thing to avoid if you if you'd all could. And yet marriage is a creation ordinance. It was something that God gave to people. It wasn't a human invention. And sex isn't a human invention either. It was given to us by God. And it was given to us in Genesis chapter 2. And if you know your Bible at all, you'll know that Genesis 2 is before sin enters the world. Sin breaks into the world in Genesis 3 and spoils everything, mars everything, changes everything. But before that, God institutes marriage. And he gives the gift of sex into marriage. And marriage is good. And sex is better than you think. Because it's not just a physical pleasure. It's meant to be a spiritual union. Tim Keller calls sex the covenant cement. When you promise to love someone on your wedding day. And you covenant together to be there for each other for the rest of your life. Sex is the glue that holds you together. Not just a physical pleasure, but a spiritual union between two people. And so the Bible says this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. It means have sex with her. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Don't stop him doing it. Because it's part of that marriage relationship. It's part of the gift that God has given to us. And it's meant to, end, it's meant to build that relationship up. So here's one thing that some of you could do. I know there's all sorts of different ages here, but, but this, is, this isn't a bad thing, whatever age you are. You could pray for a wife or a husband. You, you could pray for someone that you could share this with. Someone that you could show love to. Pray for a wife, pray for a husband that loves Jesus more than he's going to love you. Or more than she's going to love you. Who wants to please Jesus in everything. Because that's the kind of person that you're going to be able to give yourself fully to. But that's probably a long way in the distance for most of you. So the bigger thing that we need to do is this. We need to remember that sexual love is actually a sign of something greater. God is great at putting signposts in our way. 
And all the way through history, different things are instituted that are good in themselves, but they point to something even better. And the love between a husband and a wife is meant to be mirroring all the time the love that Jesus has for us, his people, the, the church. Here's what Ephesians 5 says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in a sense here, he's saying, love your wife, experience sexual fulfillment with your wife. That's a really good thing. But remember that it points to something bigger. It's more, this other thing is more important than what you're experiencing right now. Don't settle for the smaller thing. Go for the bigger thing. The sign is pointing to the real thing, and it's Jesus' love for you. You are loved perfectly at the cross. We've sung about that tonight. One of the great things of marriage is that you, you are known really well by the other person because you just can't escape them. They're there all the time. And they know things about you that no one else knows. And you know things about them that nobody else knows. And if you're in a relationship where they know you well, they know you really well, and they still love you with all the bits that you hide from everybody else, that's a beautiful place to be. And yet here is Jesus who knows you completely. He knows the bits that nobody else knows about. And yet on the cross loves you so much that he dies for you. You see, the sign is saying, this sign is pointing to the cross. Your desires will not be fulfilled even in the most beautiful sexual relationship inside of a marriage. Your desires will only be fulfilled in Jesus. Listen to this because the, the world will tell you something different. will think I'm nuts for suggesting it to you tonight. You are not incomplete without sex. You don't need it to be the person that you're meant to be. But you are incomplete without Jesus. You need to see how beautiful he is and how much he loves you and how all this points to the, the faithfulness and the safety that is found in him. I think I've said this every time I've come here. I don't mean to talk about her all the time, but my wife's from this church originally. I met her when I was at university in Liverpool. And I remember seeing her. We were both training to be PE teachers. I remember seeing her and thinking, she looks awesome. And I met her the first time when we were going out for a night out. And we were the only two people out of all the people, because they were all PE teachers, there were only two people who weren't drinking. And I, I thought, I wonder, what, I wonder what's up with her. And I tried to find ways to, to talk to her so that I could find out more about her. And I did that for a whole term because she had a boyfriend over here, which I worked on carefully over a period of time and managed to get rid of by Christmas. <laughs> we, we had prayer times together. And I found it delightful. And you know what? I, I, I wanted to do things that pleased her. I wanted to buy her things that she would like. And so every now and again, you would hear something that you, you know, she would say something. This is what I like, or, or really, I really need that. And I would have written it down. I still do that now. In, in my phone, I've got in my notes what I want to buy her for Christmas. She, she needs shin guards for playing hockey because they're starting to wear out. It's not a very exciting thing, but she needs them. And so I write them down every time because I... I want to do things that please her because she's delightful to me. You experienced something of that, some of you? You found someone who just thrills you like that? 
Let me read a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar and he touched my mouth and said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us then i said here i am send me Isaiah in this vision is caught up into the throne room of, of heaven and sees God on his throne and he sees him as something utterly beautiful, so mind-bogglingly dazzling that he can't actually look at him. He, he shields his eyes and he bows down and he sees how unworthy he is. But when God forgives him and, and restores him and allows him to, to know him, Isaiah's first response says, what can I do? Here I am, send me. How can I please you? What you need to do that's the better thing is to see Jesus being beautiful. Is to see the glory of Jesus and his immense love for you. And then you'll do anything for him. And then you'll give anything to him. And he is perfectly faithful and will never let you down. So here's a couple of practical things before we, we do one more thing to finish. To be these kind of people when you see Jesus like that, to live for him in this kind of world, you need to do what Job did. Job knew how much temptation would creep up on him. And so he said this, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a promise with what I would look at. How then could I gaze at a virgin? You can look at someone once. Everyone looks at someone once. It's just impossible not to do that. But he says, I'm not going to look again. I'm not looking a second time. I'm not going to put myself in a position where, where I'm tempted, either with my mind or my body, to do what God has told me I shouldn't do. I trust him that much. I want to please him that much. I know him that well. I don't want to disappoint him. Or well, 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Flee means get away from it. Don't stay in the same room as Temptation. It means blocking the sights on your computer. It might mean moving seats in the coffee shop. It might mean not watching that film or, or being accountable to other people. It may mean not being in a, a secluded room with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. A place where temptation is going to be overpowering for you. It, it, it's better to rip out your Wi-Fi than to fall to sexual sin. Do you see how beautiful Jesus is? Do you have the commitment to run from anything that would spoil your relationship with him? Well, how do we do it? You can't do it by just doing different things. That won't work. Willpower will not be enough on its own. You need to know God's love for you. You need to know his faithfulness. 
and his truth in your life. And that will transform you. You need your eyes on something different. You need your heart set on something different. Here's Ephesians again. Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In, in a sense, God is saying that the most picturesque of marriages, the most perfect of marriages, the most loving and secure and safe marriages is a picture of how I want to treat you. God doesn't want to be a bit on the side for you. God isn't interested in being a bit part player in your life. So that you spend Sundays with him, but then you, you head off to all sorts of other places with your life through the rest of the week. And God is the completely faithful and trustworthy one. He won't ever let you down. He'll meet all your desires. Because he loves you. But you've got to surrender to him. And for some of you here, that's exactly where you need to be. For some of you, you haven't seen how glorious Jesus is and how much you need him. And you think that you can fulfill your desires in other places and it won't work. What you need to do tonight is to come to Jesus and find him to be everything that you need. Sexual sin does not stop you coming to him. It doesn't stop you becoming a Christian, whatever you've done up until this point in your life. Or whatever has been done to you, or whatever has been done to your family around you. None of that stops you from coming to meet this Jesus and to being dazzled. Just like Isaiah is as he meets with God, with this, this holy God who, who takes your breath away. Nothing should stop you coming tonight. Don't let your friends stop you. Don't let your past stop you. Come and meet Jesus. But sexual sin is not restricted to those who are not yet Christians. Every one of us here tonight, when we see how Jesus opens up this commandment, convicts us as being sexual sinners. Whether it's physical or mental or virtual, you need forgiveness tonight. And forgiveness is here too. Paul finishes that passage in 1 Corinthians 6 by saying this, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He says, some of you in the church that he was writing to have committed all sorts of sexual sins. Some of you have done some horrendous things, but... God has loved you, and because of Christ's death and his resurrection, you've been forgiven, and you now belong to him again. And some of you are guilty tonight, and you're not sure if there's forgiveness for you. Let me finish with this story from the Old Testament before we pray. David, the man after God's own heart, in one of the most famous parts of, of his life story, commits adultery and gets the woman pregnant and then has her husband killed. Stream of, of 
sin after sin, beginning with sexual sin, beginning with this, the act of adultery and the thought process in his mind. I'd love you to read Psalm 51 sometime. It's his response. It's his prayer for forgiveness to God. But for now, I just want to read one verse from 2 Samuel 12 when he confesses his sin after all that is done. Nathan the prophet says this, the Lord has taken away your sin. Some of you are Christians here tonight and you need to hear that. That God has such faithfulness that even though you have cheated on him and you've gone wrong in all sorts of parts of your life, he hasn't given up on you. And you can be forgiven. And he can use you again. And you can be with him again. Let's pray just for a moment. Father, I want to pray for people here tonight who, who don't know you. I want to pray for folk who are with the, the words of society and culture in their ears heading into all sorts of sexual experiences online and in reality too to try and find what their heart is looking for i pray that you would show them your beauty and help them to run to jesus tonight i pray they would find the love that they're looking for the faithfulness and the security and the trustworthiness and the life that they're looking for in him this evening. Will you come to people who are not yet Christians and show them your love? I pray for people here too who are Christians but have fallen in this way. I pray that you would assure them of forgiveness tonight. Thank you for the, the promises of your word that those who come in repentance are always forgiven by you. There's no end to your grace. And I pray that they would be able to see too that your ways for us are the best ways for us. And that they'd have confidence to trust you for the future and to live radically different lives than this world would ever see because they belong to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.